It's January 11th, 2009, and this is The Candid Frame. Happy New Year, and welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. As we begin the third year of the show, I want to thank the thousands of you who listen and support the show, especially those who spread the word by telling others or posting links on their blogs and websites. It really makes a difference. As I was considering a new year of interviews, I realized I wanted to focus this year on a single idea, living the photographic life. It's a dream shared by many, no doubt many of you who listen to this show, whether you're an amateur or pro, that ideal revolves around the life filled with creativity, challenges, and success. That success can mean many things. It can mean having your own photographic business, a one-person gallery show, publication in a magazine, or, or regular travel to beautiful and inspiring locations. But whatever your dream is, why not try to make it real in 2009? We always have reasons why we can't do things. I don't need to list them here. I'm sure you know what they are. But the amazing thing about many of the photographers I've interviewed over the years is that they often shared the same reasons why they couldn't do things, but they managed to do it anyway. They achieved the photographic life despite obstacles or challenges that would dissuade many from even trying at all. Why are these photographers able to do this and others not? I don't think it's about talent or skill or the kind of equipment they own. It's often about making the choice and following that up with action. And oftentimes those actions are simply one like just showing up or picking up a phone or sharing your work. It's simply about doing something different than you've done before and being persistent. One of the things I want to encourage you to do differently this year is to get connected. There are nearly 4,000 of you who listen to each episode from all over the world. Each of you obviously has a passion for photography and aspire to or are already living the photographic life. You are each other's greatest resource. Each of you can play a role this year in each other's successes. And that begins by getting to know each other. I recently created a Facebook group to help provide a forum for you to, to do just that. If you want to do more with your photography this year, let us know about it. And let's help each other to make that happen. Don't let 2009 pass you by. There are going to be tens of thousands of people this year who are going to see their dreams come true. Make the choice to be one of them. Because if not you... Who? And if not now, when? And before I introduce my guests, I want to offer a special thank you to the supporters of the show by offering my DVD, Digital Photography, using available light and flash at a 20% discount. It was a dream of mine to make an instructional DVD last year, and I'm really thrilled with the results. I wanted a way of sharing my passion for photography and what I've learned with others. You can view a trailer of the DVD by clicking on the link on the Candid Frame blog page 
And by typing the word CANDID as the promo code, you can enjoy 20% off the retail price. And this offer is good through January 31st, 2009. Today's guest is Terrell Loy, who is a Canon Explorer of Light and who has made a career as a corporate and event photographer as well as being a sports photographer, including a team photographer for the San Francisco 49ers. Terrell's journey as a photographer is a good example of how one can make simple choices that help one walk the path to the photographic life. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Tara Lloyd. Well, Terrell, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, let's start off with how you started as a photographer. You, you photograph a, a wide variety of subject matter. But I'm kind of curious as as what got you to begin uh, picking up a camera. Oh uh, well, you know it's funny. I took um, I started photography back in school, back in high school, and a little bit in college. And um, you know it started off basically what I want to say as a hobby. And um, but see, you know, and and when I'm out there speaking out on the uh, the photography circuit, it's like it's funny because I talk about all the careers I have I've had. You know that led up that ended up until now where I'm doing photography full time. But, um, you know, my first career uh, when I was um, a teenager, see, I used to be a, a bowler. And then I um, became a professional bowler. So I went out on a professional bowler's tour for uh, a couple of years back in the early 80s. And so people are surprised. like, wow, you know, bowling. It's like, okay. And then, and then I kind of, like, talk about my careers basically a little bit. So, you know, I went out on a professional bowler's tour. I worked in high tech for about 20 years working in uh, computer data centers. And then uh, in the middle of my high tech career, and that's when I basically picked up, you know, picked my camera back up. And um, a friend of mine at work was getting married. I'd never done a wedding before, you know, a little low-budget wedding. And uh, I picked the camera up and shot his wedding. The images came out pretty good, and, and here I am today. I never put the camera down since then. Wow. Yeah, so that's basically how I got started. And and during that time, you know, when you're shooting, um, what I want to say as an amateur and, you know, it just as a hobby, and then it turned into a profession. So as I started doing a few weddings and then uh, a couple of corporate events where, to be honest, I didn't really know what I was doing. But I joined a professional photographers association group here in the Bay Area called uh, uh, the initials are PPGBA, which stands for Professional Photographers of the Greater Bay Area. And I joined that organization, and then that's how I really got started into learning the craft of uh, photography. Well, you make an important point about the whole idea of of getting jacked into a community of photographers. Um, what did you find was your the the biggest advantage of being able to, to do that besides learning the sort of the technical aspects of photography? Well, I think I think it's a big advantage for people that that are either starting out and 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 it's a prime uh, you know a good example for myself because I didn't know a lot of people, didn't know a lot of photographers, and so you join the organization, and what happens is within that organization, um, you meet or we meet. We used to meet once a month. So it's like every third Thursday of the month. And within the organization, they would have different speakers come out and uh, talk about, you know, their photography, talk about their business, talk about their studio, or talk about, like, wedding photography, portrait photography. They would have another photographer come out the next month, maybe talk about marketing. And so I would go every month, and that's basically how I learned. Um by doing that as well, you know, it gives you a sense of, you know, where you want to go or, or what, where, how, how far you want to take your photography or how seriously you want to be. And so and that's what I did. And, you know, I wanted to be a serious photographer. So I used to go every month and, 
network with the other local photographers here in the Bay Area. And I teamed up with them, and, and uh, there was another photographer named Abel Sanchez that uh, has a studio in Redwood City where I started mentoring under him, uh, assisting him at his wedding. So basically starting off as an assistant, learning the craft of a wedding and so on and so forth. But along with that, and when you join these uh, organizations and professional organizations, then you get tied into some of the uh, photography schools. And, you know, there's a school that we put on that in that that I'm like one of the trustees now as I, you know, moved up in the ranks where you would go to this week-long school and it was like they had photographers doing weddings, portraits, but it was like basically a week-long class. And then that's where you start to learn a little bit more, a little bit more hands-on. So that's where I think I think for the, the um, amateur photographers coming up that maybe want to turn it into a profession, that's where you, you got to start from a little bit. Yeah. What did you find to be your niche as you were starting out? Because, you know, as a photographer, there though you can shoot everything, there's certain things you, most people get drawn to, either it's people or sports or something like that. And though I know you were fairly diverse in your early part of your career, did you find yourself focusing on one particular area? Um, I want to say when, when I first started, you know, I just started doing weddings. And then um, at the company where I worked at called Nortel Networks, they uh, usually every year has uh, have their holiday party. And so one of the coordinators for the holiday party says, hey, Terrell, how would you like to shoot the party? And and I'm, I was always the type of person, well, you know, even though I have never done it before, I said, sure, you know, what does it take? So then I would, you know, ask around, you know, okay, what are you doing at the party? What, you know, what kind of pictures are you looking for? And even though I haven't done it, I would tap some of the other photographers I either met in my association and then get tips from them as well. So I did start off just doing one or two things because basically I was still working a full-time job. And then as I got more, um, you know, more adverse to the uh, professional side of the photography, I started updating my equipment as I was making a little bit more money. And then things just started to, you know, working in the corporate world, things started to come like people would say, well, hey, how would you like to do my portraits? Or how would you like to do this? So then I would go out and learn how to do that. And so that's, I think, how I started off just doing one or one or two things Mm -hmm. and then started branching off into doing multiple things from the photography side but you know what they say you know uh, jack of all trades masters of none right yeah (laughs) but you know and back in the day um you know you really only did one or two things but i think in today's world you have to be what i want to say multi-talented and i want to say more diverse because that's what i talk about in my programs now when i'm out there speaking on the um photography circuit i talk about uh diversity diversity into your business basically you know learn how to do multiple number of things not just one thing and then you say you know you know even if you haven't done it before you know either team up with some other photographer that has done it before you know but don't really turn the job down but it's like but don't take on more than what you can really handle or you know maybe refer it to another photographer and you guys team up and do it but have them be the lead on it if they're more expert at it, you see? And then that's how you learn as well. Yeah. And so that's why I do a multiple number of things now. I mean, I believe I can shoot almost anything to a certain degree. Yeah. But I don't take on too much more than what I can handle. Well, one of the questions that comes up a lot um, among students is the idea of how much to charge. And I think probably being involved in a professional organization provides you some information in terms of what's fair both to the client and to you as a photographer. But I think the greater question is is being comfortable with assigning a value to your skill and to your work. 
Um, so let's 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 talk about that, particularly um, in in the beginning of your career and how that's changed over time. Um, well, you know, charging that's the most difficult, hard, hardest thing to do. You know, knowing where your your base is and your your skill set, right? Um, you know, when I first started, you know, I want to say my hourly rate was maybe fifty dollars an hour or seventy five dollars an hour, you know, somewhere around there. You know, now I, if I look at what I'm doing now, you know, my average hourly rate is one hundred seventy five to two hundred dollars an hour, depending on the job function itself. So you got to look at where you're at, and you got to look at the needs of the client and what they want. You know, is it a half day rate? Is it a full day rate? Um, you know, is the job a complex job? Do we have to? Does it take more than one photographer? So you know, you got to have all those variables and think about it. But then also, from a client standpoint, they may have a certain budget of what they want to spend on photography too. So it's it's almost like a guessing game for the client and the photographer. Now, they may say, well, you know, I need a photographer for, you know, uh, five hours. Or they may say, I need a photographer for three hours, where your half-day rate is four, you know, four hours. So if they need me for three, I'm going to really charge for four because that's my half-day rate because basically you're giving up your half-day. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but basically you want to look at, you know, your hourly rate for the type of job that it is. So how low, like I say, even in today's economy now, you say, well, um, if you're, and I'm going to give you an example and throw a number and then people can get it. A, an idea of um, how I'm gauging it. So, if my normal rate is $200 an hour, right? But the client says, well, you know, uh, just a little bit high for what we want to do, you know, depending on the job, I mean, on the job assignment that we have, um, you know, I could go, they may say, well, I can go well, $150 an hour. And then what you want to do is like evaluate, say, okay, either you want to take the job and start a relationship with that, with that client and showing that you're a little flexible and you can start off saying, well, okay, well, I think I could go with 150 an hour for now and I'll build a relationship with you. And, you know, maybe we'll go from there. But, you know, say your normal rate is actually 200, but you're willing to do it for 150. Once the client loves what you do, and then as you get more jobs coming in and depending on what it is, then you, you bring your rate back up to your normal rate. But you don't want to say, well, I'm going to do it for $50 an hour. Mm-hmm. You just don't want to really give it away. Right. So, and that's what I do basically on pricing. And then along with that, you got to say, okay, what are their needs within that job? So, okay, you're going to go do the photography. Do they need prints? Do they, you know, want usage rights? Uh, do you have to rent equipment? Uh, do you have to bring in lights? I mean, so then that's when you start adding on a few other things, and then that's when you build your propo- your proposal on that. Okay, well, I got to rent lights, or you may already have lights, or you may charge a setup fee. You know, you may have to have an assistant, and then you start adding on those other incrementals to your proposal. Yeah, and in finding your clients, what what do you do? Do I know that a lot of photographers they'll, they'll advertise in, you know, in 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 these books that have a lot of other photographers that they're competing against others will send out promotional packages some will just do cold calls what what's your process for you know securing new clients particularly in a challenging economic time like now well you know it's funny because people have asked me that all the time and and i've never i mean i've been doing uh photography about 16 years now and i've been um full-time for about a little over eight years now and I've never really had to market because I've always been around the corporate sector I've always done a lot of things I've had a lot of repeat clients that referred me to a lot of other people and so now that I find out within the last year you know last year year and a half or so it's like um, a lot of corporate stuff corporate uh, photography I used to do 
it's like it's tapered off because either the companies move or they come back and I work with a couple of event planners and then, you know, and then they go off and doing other things. So now I'm realizing, I say, well, okay, maybe I do have to market a little bit more. But before I never really had the market because I would meet other people that would bring me business, right? And then either I would send proposals out or I, I, have, a, like, I have a brochure now that I put together for, um, for basically for corporate, right? Um, so now I'm in the process of working with a consultant um, and developing more of a marketing strategy now. And then that's where, so I haven't built that one yet because I never really had to. Because I stay so busy now where with my sports, with the, the 49ers, um, I'm also doing, um, uh, I'm contracted with San Jose State where I do all their athletic programs. Got a couple other uh, professional sports team where I'm doing lacrosse. So, you know, so I stay quite busy. So I try to fit everything in between. But now I say, well, now I got to go out and market a little bit more. So I would look into the realm of um, um, looking into, like, say, a consultant to help you with your marketing pieces. And then, but this still, you still go out and, you know, you may advertise um, in some of uh, the brochures that, like, say, for example, if you want to do um, corporate events. Now, either cold calling is good. I haven't had to do that yet. But just by the clients that you may know now or that you work with now, some of them are working in the corporate sector. You know, you could talk to them and say, hey, you know, here's my here's my marketing piece. I'm looking for some new business, some corporate business. If you guys need uh, some photography needs, then that's where you can start using your existing clients to bring in more of the corporate side of it. Yeah. But that's what I'm in the process of now, though. And how do you maintain those relationships? Because, you know, you may do a job for someone, you know, in, in January, but they may not need you specifically for, for quite a while. Um, so how do you sort of maintain the contact? Well, what you want to do, and, and and that's important, too, because if you only did one job for them in January, then, you know, you don't hear from them for a while, you know, send them an email, give them a call, or, you know, or if you have something new on your website, just uh, send them an email saying, hey, oh, I've updated my website with some new uh, assignments that I've done. So that keeps you in their ear or in their sight. Um, and then they may strike up something like, oh, shoot, I do need a photographer for this. And I remember he did this job for me here. And so then, you know, and then that still keeps that interest there. Or, you know, afterwards, send them a thank you card, you know, right after the job or, you know, during Christmas time. But you really don't want 11 months to pass by. So you still want to really stay in their ear or just call them and say, hey, hello, uh, you know, this is Terrell Lloyd. I did a assignment for you uh, about two, three months ago. Just wanted to touch base, see if you have any other needs for any future assignments coming up. Just, you know, just want to touch base, see how things were going. I mean, so a two-minute call, you know, you know, in today's world, everybody's busy. But, you know, somebody should be able to take a call for two minutes, especially if, if you did a great job for them before and they're easy to work along, work with, work well with, then it should be no problem. And the hard, I mean, not the hardest thing, but the easiest thing is just to, to just building those relationships and keeping those relationships. That, that's a key thing too. And if you're flexible and if you're nice and you have a nice personality, you know, I, I think it works out, works out well. What I also try to tell photographers is when they're, um, when they're out shooting, you know, I think appearance is, is a big thing to me, right? Where how you're dressed, how you, I mean, how you dress or how you may approach things in your attitude tells a lot about you and your business and your personality. If you're easy to work with, you dress nice, your appearance is nice, you know, you just don't really want to be what I want to say, oh, that's just the photographer, right? Um, with the camera over there. You want to be, you know, the professional photographer. When they look at you over there, say, wow, God, hey, photographer's dressed nice. I mean, oh, you know, you know, you want those type of comments so they won't say, well, that's just the photographer. It's like, oh, that's our photographer right there, you know. Gotcha. And, and it's, it's a different mindset, too, I think. 
you know, if you're doing, when I'm doing a corporate photo shoot, um, you know, depending on the venue, you know, I'll put on my suit. You know, I got my suit, shirt, tie on. Um, even though I got my camera on my shoulder and everything like that. So I'm blending in with the other professionals, right? I don't want to stand out like a sore thumb, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, and someone will say, oh, wait, that's the photographer. Look at a nice suit there, you know, and that, that makes a big difference. So then there may be someone else at that meeting or from another company says, wow, I like the way that photographer works. I mean, I've gotten that so many times, you know, and it's like I, I'll tease with people. I say, you know, they say, hey, I saw you work over there. I can tell that you, you know, you, you're doing a good job. I said, oh, you weren't supposed to be looking at me. You're supposed to be picking up the meeting. <laughs> you know, you don't really want to stand out too much because you don't want to take out take away from what they're doing but people do take notice and then that's where you possibly can get your your next client from hmm. so you, you shoot for uh the nfl for the uh san francisco um team i can't believe i just drew a blank on the team's name san francisco 49ers, right? 49ers i could have forget yeah. that but oh, yeah. in any case um you I think you took an unusual route to get there because I think when most people think about people who shoot for for those teams, they think, well, they they, well, they must have started off as like photojournalists. But you came from a whole different route. How how did that happen for you? Well, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, just clear my throat here a little bit. I want the. Um, it, it's funny because I've always been an avid Forty Nine er fan. Growing up as a kid, growing up in San Francisco. Um, in the Haight-Ashbury when uh, the 49ers uh, used to play at Keysar and back in the day with John Brody and all the, you know, the older uh, 49ers. Well, when I became a season ticket holder in 1980, and, you know, I saw them win five Super Bowls from me sitting in the stands and rooting them on, and, and you know, uh, one of the former players had a restaurant here in San Mateo, and me and my son used to go in a little small restaurant. I was doing photography part-time, Um you know, I want to say seriously, that's when I'm growing my business a little bit, working full-time in the high-tech sector. And he kind of says, well, you ought to go out there and shoot on the field. I said, oh, you know, they're not going to let me, you know, go down there. I'm going to shoot for a magazine or shoot for a newspaper. Um, that was in 93. And I went back, you know, used to go to a restaurant every now and then. Season started up in 94. He said, did you ever call my guy? You ever call my guy? I said, nah, nah, I didn't call him. So he called him. And then I was fortunate enough to obtain a pass to shoot in 1994 49ers against Tampa Bay I remember like it was yesterday and I got on the field you know and my my season ticket seats were 10 rows from the field and I used to shoot with my camera from my seat sometimes so that's when I started like okay I want to shoot sports I want to do this right so I got on the field and then I got hooked it was like it was the best feeling in the world and I had that one opportunity and then that opportunity was gone and then I told myself, well, I got to figure out a way to get back down here. Now, the PR director had mentioned to me that, um, well, you know, if I have an extra spot, I'll let you know. Give me a call. He would say that every week, right? He says, oh, give me a call next week. I'll see what I got. So <clears throat> if you tell me to give you a call, I'm going to call you. So I would call him each week and oh, nothing. Sorry, I don't have any. Sorry, I don't have anything. The 49ers made the playoffs that year. And, you know, I was like, the next year I said, I got to figure out a way. So I got on with a small magazine you know, a monthly newspaper, free newspaper. Um, so I took a different approach because the daily newspaper, they were writing, you know, current stuff, you know, stats and, you know, what's going on here, going on there. So with this monthly newspaper, I couldn't do the same thing as the daily newspapers because my information would be old. So I took a behind-the-scenes approach. And so the next year, <clears throat> next year came, and I sent in for the credentials, and next thing I know, I got credentials for the games. The, the Raiders moved back up here from L.A., and I say, well, let me see how that works. 
And then I, next thing I know, I got credentials for the Raiders to shoot on the sideline. So for about two or three years, I just learned how to shoot. And then remember how I talk about networking with people. Mm-hmm. So I was around the 49er organization, and I was meeting some people. So in about four years' time after that, there was one guy <clears throat> that um, that was shooting some of the 49ers entertainment, um, like shoot the cheerleaders, shoot the halftime show, a pregame show, everything like that. And I met the guy. And one year I'm on the field, and he says, Terrell, hey, I got something for you. How would you like to do what I'm doing here? He says, uh, you know, my knees are getting bad. I'm getting kind of older here. Um, you know, and I, I looked at it, I said, I think you would be good for the job. And so that, that struck me as interesting because I said to him, I met him at his office. He told me all the things he was doing. And I said, uh, Jim, what is, um, why me? Why did you, you pick me? He says, you know, you, you come in here. I've seen you the last three or four years. You come in here. You're pleasant with everybody. You speak to everybody. You're nice. You know, you take your shots. You take your pictures. He says, I looked at you, and I said, um, he would be good for the job. And so that was my, that was my start on doing something indirectly with the team. And then it just started growing after that as I started beating more people. But I think what really got me in was uh, digital technology. And I say I bought my first digital camera in 1998 that cost over $12,000. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and during that time, I didn't have $12,000. But it was like if you look at certain things that you want to do, you, you take a gamble. It's almost like the stock market. So I gambled, what I say, gambled into my future a little bit. And said I brought basically I brought digital technology to the 49ers right when it was right at the cusp from sports photography and the internet and um, and then there was a guy that happened to be there wanted to bring the internet in house and I was telling him about digital photography what I was doing and then he saw some of the stuff everybody was still doing film the team the original team photography was still doing film now he's still there too as well but it was like so I I kind of like brought that new technology there and that's how basically I got my foot in the door to make uh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, but that speaks about creating your own opportunities. I think a lot of people of make the mistake of of waiting for opportunities or for people to provide them gifts of of jobs, and right, and exactly. sometimes you really have to make it for yourself because even the people you end up working for don't know that they need it until you educate until you them. Right, exactly. And and I've seen a lot of photographers that that held back. I mean, I didn't have the money at the time, but I made that investment. And it paid off later on down the line. So it's like it's kind of like um, what do you say? Paying forward for what you want to do somewhat. Now, and it and it's fortunate that it did work out. But I've seen photographers during the digital uh, explosion there kind of hold back and wait, hold back and wait. But if you wait, you're missing a lot of opportunities when you're waiting. Though, yeah, you know. So that's what really created a lot of opportunities for myself. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and and I still I think I still think about that today with with technology. I mean. You know, if I mean, there's a there's an influx of a whole bunch of photographers now. So you got to you got to be creative. You got to have certain tools for what you're going to be doing. Um, so you just got to be creative with 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 your with your camera equipment and, and what you how you want to go forward. Yeah, a lot of people dream of being able to shoot on the sidelines. But what are some of the things that people may not think about or, or be aware of that's really important to know? in terms of shooting professional sports, particularly, you know, professional football? Well, you know, it's, um, I mean, there's more to it than just really wanting to be on the sidelines and loving football and, and it's like, or just shooting action. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. I mean, because in the 49ers organization, I do a lot for the ownership group, uh, the marketing group, um, 
you know, basically I do a lot of stuff with the internet because, I, you know, I'm the main person that does all the digital stuff. I mean, all three of us, we do uh, digital photography. But, I mean, there's a lot of things that's going on from, like I want to say, a sponsorship standpoint, just um, in other things than other just shooting the action. So it's kind of like, I mean, if, uh, if and some people have, have been fortunate enough to, to team up with me on the sidelines sometimes and they say, wow, man, you work a lot. You do a lot of different things. So other than just shooting the action stuff, there, there's a lot of things going on along the sidelines. But then when you are shooting the action in sports, you know, you got to be aware of what's going on around you. You know, if a play comes along the sidelines and, you know, people have seen photographers, you know, get taken out by the players and, you know, but you just have to be aware of what you're, of where you're at, what action is coming by you or if it's going to come out of bounds or something like that. But because there's, you know, a little safety issue in there too. So you got to be, you got to be on your toes. You can't be just narrow focused yeah. on something and then losing that focus because then you can get hurt a little bit there. But I mean, there's, but there's a lot going on. And what's the competition like among amongst photographers? I mean, even because sometimes they're very in close proximity to each other. Each of them is trying to sort of get to the shot. How? What's what's sort of the rapport that photographers have with each other? Because they're they're usually working alongside each other all the time, even if they're working for different publications or or organizations. Right. You know, it, the competition is. Uh, you know, I laugh about that because it's like there there is a steep competition out there though too. I um, mean, especially with the. Um, what I want to say, um, the, I want to say well-known photographers or, you know, the Sports Illustrated photographers or AP photographers or uh, ESPN Magazine photographers. Because, every, you know, everybody's trying to get the shots. Everybody's like, okay, did he get it or did, did I get that? But it all depends on what you're looking at, too. I mean, you or I could be sitting, standing right next to each other, and we could be looking, even though it's an action play, but there could be something going on somewhere else. You know, the coach could be screaming at somebody or a player reaction after the play. So it's like all depends on what you're looking at. So you really may get something different. But then again, you know, with the equipment that you're using, you know, are you know are you shooting it too tight or shooting it too loose? Do you, you know, are you shooting with a wide angle? So it's like different photographers have different lenses and they're looking at different things. So, you know, from a perspective standpoint, even if there's a certain touchdown catch, you know, it all depends on how you're framing that image as well. You know, mm. if you shoot it too loose, it may not work too loose. If you shoot it too tight, it may work tighter than it would be um, um, when you shot it loose. So there's certain things that are going on, but the, you know, there's a little, there's a little, you know, competition there. But you know, most of the time, all the photographers are really, really pretty nice and stuff like that. So yeah, you know, and they're, the... they're not going to, they're not going to elbow you out the way when when something's happening. You know, there are some <laughs> a few that are that are aggressive. But you know, but you know, you just try to you know, you know, everybody's trying to get the same thing. So. Yeah. Well, sports is always a challenge because it's it's not so much just when you decide to shoot is sort of anticipating what you think may happen. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And, and that's why I talk about reaction afterwards. So, like, say, you know, say if um, if you're and and it's all a position game because it's like depending on what side of the field you're on and what side of the play may comes on. You know, if it comes on your side, then it's like okay, that's great, but if it comes away from you, far, far from you, then it's like, oh boy, you know, am I too loose to capture that? But then again, if it's away from you, then you try to look at the reaction afterwards, right? You know, did the player jump up? Are the players, you know, congratulating each other? Or, you know, do they have like, um, you know, a certain emotion on their face? So then you want to capture that because even if you weren't able to get um, the actual touchdown, actual play, then you may get a reaction out of that player. And then that reaction may be just as good as the play that you, you know, just because you weren't, were not in position. There's a, there's an image that, um, uh, studio photography, uh, magazine just did a, a cover story on me. Um, 
in the December issue. And on the cover is a picture of uh, Bryant Young. And we were in Cincinnati, and it was snowing, you know, and it was cold. And there was a shot that I took of Bryant that was, I shot with my 400 millimeter lens, and it was like up close, tight, three quarters. And he grimaced as he got up, right? And when you look at it, he grimaced. He got snow on his helmet, you know, on his face, looked like a little mud and stuff, and his eyes are closed. And that was like, I shot that like with three shots, right? And because as he got up, I said, choo, choo. now, I didn't really know what I was getting, but I knew I was going to get a reaction shot after he made a tackle. But when you look at that image, that image tells the emotion of that player at that time. Mm. So that's why I say when you, you know, when you're shooting, you know, even though, you know, Brian Young made a nice tackle, but I still looked and saw what, um, what he did afterwards. And that's what made, you know, made the cover page of, of the magazine. And and even even when I do on the corporate side, you're looking for a reaction. You're looking for certain things when you're shooting meetings, and that's what I talk about in my seminars. I'll give you give you another example with uh, uh, Barry Bonds. I did something for UCSF Medical Center uh, a couple months ago, and he was out visiting the children in the hospital. And there was a uh, and I remember this. This is one of my favorite images where uh, one of the kids was sick in the room. He was sedated, and Barry says, "Terrell, let's go in here. I just want to get." You know, the mother said he kind of out of it. He said, but I just want to get a shot of me looking at the kid. And so we kind of staged it a little bit. So, but what happened was, um, I, it just didn't feel right to me. But I knew what Barry wanted to do, just, you know, just, you know, he still wanted to, you know, touch the kid and everything else. So I took a couple of pictures. I didn't really feel right. And then all of a sudden, Barry looked back, just touched the kid and looked down. I fired off the image, and that was a more natural shot than mm -hmm. posed him. So what I try to tell photographers is you're always looking. You're always looking for that that moment of time. And I think that's what's one of my strong suits is uh, what I capture, you know, that emotion and stuff like that. You were telling me, I think, yesterday that you've been recently shooting lacrosse. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, yeah. getting ready to start my second season of uh, indoor lacrosse down in San Jose called it San Jose Stealth. Um, one of my former bosses with the 49ers, uh, he was doing some PR work for the indoor lacrosse team, and he brought me in. And, um, you know, it was a different different sport, different team, so I had to learn learn the game. And uh, now I'm headed into my second season, so I'm looking exciting for that. Now, you know, I didn't understand lacrosse. I, you know, heard about lacrosse. But once you get into a sport, I mean, like I say, I love sports. So once you get into sports, start love, you know, you know, meeting the players and seeing what they do. And then all of a sudden, you just learn how to shoot it. Right, so it's like you know, some photographers may say, "Well, God, I never shot lacrosse. I don't even understand lacrosse." Well, you know, I didn't understand it either, but now, now I'm into it. So it's uh, I'm I'm excited that we're getting ready to start. Uh, matter of fact, our first game is uh, tomorrow night. Yeah. Well, one of the challenges I would think is that the fact that it's indoors, so you're dealing with a completely different um, stage in terms of lighting. Correct. Uh, with that, true. so what? So what are the what are the differences, and and what do you have to do in, in order to ensure a good shot uh, in lacrosse as opposed to doing it in football? Well, where are we playing at? We play at the HP Pavilion. So their indoor lighting is, is pretty pretty good, right? So like when they're you know when um, you know when the Sharks are playing there in hockey or if they're playing basketball or tennis, so the indoor lighting in that type of arena is really good. I mean you know like when you're shooting like indoors at a high school gym or something like that, they don't have that strong powerful lighting like some of the professional arenas do because in those arenas you know they they have what we call they have what they call those television lights right mm -hmm. and you can also hook up strobes to the top but then if you hook up a strobe then the only thing you do is do one shot at a time and i still like shooting fast so what what you have to have is when i talk about your tools and your equipment a little bit is you got to make sure 
that you have like the faster lenses, like the 2.8 lenses, right? You couldn't you couldn't shoot in there with a four, five, five, six lens because just your aperture is just not wide enough to let that light in. So, but what I do here is, you know, I'll shoot with a higher ISO, you know, 1600, 2000, 2500 of a, you know, ISO, and but there's one rule of thumb with sports is your shutter speed. You have to at least be at five hundredths of a second or faster. So in order to do that, it's like I could shoot at 2000 ISO at 2.8 at one eight hundredth of a second and still freeze the action, still get nice lighting in there and, and everything will look real clean. Now with the cameras today and the technology at the higher ISOs, you know, um, you're still, you have less noise. So it works out well. Sometimes I may even bump it up to, you know, 2500 ISO um, because certain areas in that um, arena for when um, lacrosse is playing, there's a couple of darker spots. So then I'll have to adjust it just to get a little bit more light so where I won't really underexpose the image. But I'm so, and what I tell other photographers when I'm teaching this, like you got to be in tune with your camera or the lighting. You have to know when to make adjustments to get the proper exposure because as many things as I'm shooting and thousands of images that I'm shooting, um, I, I don't want to have to go back to tweak every image. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. if I have to tweak a few here and there, that's okay, but I don't want to have to go back and do five, six, seven hundred because I wasn't exposed properly. So, but shooting indoors, I mean, like say that the higher ISOs, you know, the 2.8 lenses, um, I just picked up uh, uh, one of Canon's newest um, uh, 200 f2 lens. Oh, and that's a, that's a nice lens. So that gives me a little bit more light to where I may not have to go with the higher ISOs. But, you know, higher ISOs now, less noise, you know, a couple of other um, applications out there to reduce even reduce that noise works out great as well. Yeah. Well, you're a Canon Explorer of Light, and uh, I was kind of intrigued with the story of how you became uh, one of the elite there. Um, uh -huh. You know, and I, I'd love you to for you to share the story of that with our listeners here, because I think it's, it really is a uh, great example of, of persistence. Well, you know, it, it's and as you can tell, I chuckle about that a little bit because I, I laugh at a lot of things that that I've done that I've accomplished because it's like um, I talk about goal settings, right? You know, you set your goals. You know, when when I was a when I was a kid, twelve, thirteen years old. Uh, by the time I was sixteen, I was averaging two hundred when I was bowling. Right? I had a goal to become a professional bowler. And I did. You know, I became a professional bowler. I went out on tour. You know, um, I didn't make it on TV. I shot 300s, perfect games, um, made some money. But um, it just didn't work out as what I wanted. But I still became a professional bowler. So I, I achieved that goal. Then I worked in high tech. It's like, you know, when I came back, it's like, well, i got to give me a great job. i got to do this. You know, I worked my way up to management. So I've always set these goals. And it, then if you look at it, you know, one of my goals was to become, it was a long shot goal, to become a photographer with the 49ers. You know, being a fan, you know, as, as a kid in the stands and, and looking, I'm there now. So then I had a goal. I was looking at, um, I've been using Canon since 94. And, you know, I'm moving up the ranks on the photography side. And I said, you know, I, I saw this uh, Canon Explorers Lights, Canon Explorer of Light photographers. And I said, wow, that'd be great to become an Explorer of Light. You know, and then you got to look into it and say, well, you know, what does it take to get to become an Explorer of Light? So I'm in New York at a convention. And I met um, uh, Stephen Gleeman. He's one of the, um, uh, he works for Canon. He handled the Explorer Light program. And I, you know, was talking to him. And 
Um, I said, well, Steve, what does it, what does it take to become, um, you know, a candy explorer? You know, here's what I do. This is what, you know, where I'm at today. And he says, well, you know, I'm not sure if, um, you know, we're going to expand or downsize, but let me keep your information and, um, uh, you know, I'll let you know. And, you know, I look at it, it's like, okay, well, yeah, it's one of those things, they take your information, will they ever call you back or anything like that? So then you have to figure out, and there's no right formula or wrong formula to try to figure it out, no right or wrong words, but you say, okay, I got to make, I got to still keep my name out there. So I was still going to conventions. I was meeting some of the Canada reps. I was still getting write-ups in the magazines. Uh, like I say, I was out there still doing my speaking and things like that. And then just still honing my craft, building my career. And talking to some of the reps, still talking to some of the people in Canada is like, well, you know, I want to become an explorer of light photographer. You know, here's what I'm doing. So then it became a, once you get more well-known out there, and then when they were going to expand the program and the reps, they started saying, okay, well, who's out there that, you know, we should, you know, look at to become an explorer of light. And so, you know, the reps would throw in certain names. So they were throwing names from over here, over there. And then my reps that I knew, they put in my name. Well, then it was like, then it became, you know, it becomes like a vote. <clears throat> amongst all the reps, the canon reps and some of the canon hierarchy. Well, what does the guy do? Is he speaking over here? So from what I understood, it's like it, it, it was more to it than just, you know, being chosen. There's a lot of variables that came in. And then about three and a half years later, uh, I got the call back from Steve and says, um, you know, we're uh, accepting you. Remember you talked to me in New York about three, four years ago and, you know, we're accepting you as a canon explorer of light. And I kind of like hit the floor. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and then, and then, and then, here I am today. I've been explored life for a, a little over three years now. That's that's fantastic. You know, so that's why I say that's why I say <clears throat> for photographers, young photographers. I mean, don't. I mean, everybody has a dream of what they want to do, and it's like they don't know how they're going to attain it and what how they're going to achieve it. But you just can't give up. I mean, there's times where um, when I wanted to become with the Forty ers I mean. <clears throat> The door was like, excuse me for a second, I clear my throat. <clears> throat. It seemed like the door would be closing on me a little bit. Hold on one second. Okay, <clears throat> okay a little bit better. I don't know if you could cut that there, but you know. Anyway, so when I wanted to become a photographer with the 49ers, um, it seemed like the door would close every now and then. It seemed like I'd get two steps in and then all of a sudden close on me. I mean, there was times I wanted to give up. And something kept telling me, don't give up, just be patient. And that's what I'd like to tell people, just don't don't give up. You know, it could take a year, two years, it could take five years. But if you're willing to withstand that haul, it's like being, you know, becoming an actor or um, or wanting to come on Broadway. And you, you've got to pay your dues until you catch that break. And sometimes you will catch that break. I really, I believe in that. Yeah, and it's, and I think it's, it's go ahead and dream big, you know. Right, I exactly. Think, I think a lot of people want to just, you know, dream small because they think, well, it's attainable, but it's important to think, you know, beyond what you believe your limits are. Right. I mean, you could be you could be persistent and have ambition, uh, but the one thing you don't want to be is annoying to somebody, right? And if if you annoy them and they don't like you, they don't like your personality. I mean, you could be a nice guy, but it's like, ah, oh, that guy's annoying. There are certain things like that. You mm -hmm. know, you gotta you gotta be you gotta be. It has to be in a subtle way. You know, so, but then still persistent, but in a subtle way. Yeah. To where when they step back, say, you know, I really like that guy. You know, he's been persistent all this time. I mean, he seems like a nice guy, you know, and it's not like, God, that guy's annoying. Here he comes again. And that's what you don't want. <laughs> yeah. Once you get that, you, you're, you, you'll never make it. Well, the last question. I, uh, yeah. 
Well, well, the last question I always ask is, is I ask a photographer to recommend another photographer who they believe our listeners should go and check out. So who would that one photographer be for you and why? Um, I would say, let's see, let's see. That's a good one. That's a, like another photographer as far as a sports photographer or just photographer. It could be anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's a photographer named uh, Bob Davis. He's out of Chicago. He's an explorer of light. And we became an explorer of light photographer uh, at the same time. And it's a funny story with, with, with that is because there was a photographer I heard <clears throat> that um, that shot uh, when Oprah gave away all those cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I said, God, I would be great to you know meet that photographer, so on and so forth. And I never knew who it was. And I was at a convention a couple of years back. And it turned out um, this guy named Bob Davis was speaking at the Cannon booth. It was the first time I met him. And I stood there and I was watching him speak and looking at his work. And, you know, he didn't mention the Oprah thing or anything like that. But I was saying, God, he's a nice guy. So I went up, introduced himself, myself to him. I says, hello, Bob. My, my name is Terrell Lloyd. I'm an explorer of light. You know, I'm new, too. He says, oh, yeah, I'm a new explorer, too. It's the first time I've been speaking, right? So we're at the hotel. And we're sitting down talking to a group of us. And so, you know, people were talking about their stories. And I was, you know, telling people how I got started and what I do. And, you know, he was so intrigued with my story, right? So then he started telling his story. And then it was like, he says, well, you know, I did this. You know, I'm from Chicago, and I used to work for Chicago sometimes, and um, I did this job for, um, had to cover the Oprah car giveaway. And he started telling a story, and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, everybody look. I said, you're the guy I wanted to meet. You know, <laughs> and it was just so ironic. But um, but Bob is a, is a great photographer, nice guy. He goes around the country teaching as well. Um, um, I would say, because he's very well-rounded, he does a lot of celebrity stuff, celebrity photography and stuff like that but if you look at his work and see what he does and some of the things that I would say he would be a good photographer to look at and then uh, view a lot of his work as well I mean I could I could name a you know 100 photographers but you know when you want to say one that stands out that you you know I respect everybody you know but I really you know you know that story always stuck with me there it's like oh you're the guy I wanted to meet everything like that <laughs> and, it's, and it's funny because I get that from other photographers and you know, and it's like, but when you do it as, you know, from your peer group, you know, it, it's, you know, you're humble with what, yeah, with what you do. I'm still absolutely. humble by what I do, regardless of all the things that I do or be, how I became Explorer and um, people will call me up or people send me emails say, hey, I've seen your work, I've seen your website, I've seen your article. Um, and then they'll say, God, you took the time to call me back. And it's like, you, you can't forget where you came from. Right. So most of the time, I mean, you can't get back to everybody in a timely manner, but I still try to, if people call me or contact me, I at least try to shoot them an email back. Hey, thanks for the nice words or something like that. At least to get some acknowledgement back because it, it goes a long way. You just, you know, you can't, you know, you're never too big from, you know, from where you started to where you're at at this point. So, you know, that's why I'm, you know, humbled by everything that I do or even, you know, the interviews that I do or the articles that I do. It's like, but I enjoy what I do. Well, I enjoyed having the time to talk to you. It was a real, real pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me for another episode of The Candid Frame. With a special thank you to Lisette Ranga for making this interview possible. If you have any comments or suggestions, please email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com. Post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com or share your thoughts on Facebook at the Candid Frame group page. Till next time, this is Ivarian X. Perello, 
and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.